Uh, my name is Ken Jenkins, and I'm an elder here at Bowling Green Covenant. Um, we are just finishing up a series of teachings uh, on the real Jesus. And I wanted to share a little this morning about the humanity of Jesus and why Jesus' humanity is central to the good news we share. And I want to present three main ideas about how the humanity of Jesus uh, speaks directly to the way we live our lives as followers of Christ. Let's start with prayer. Father, we thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to live with us, be amongst us, to live for us, to die for us, and to be raised again for us. Lord, I just commit this word to you. Um, give us ears to hear, uh, open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's always been many misunderstandings about who Jesus is. And, in fact, really, Palm Sunday is a good example uh, of one of those misunderstandings. The people in Jerusalem who welcomed Jesus into the city thought that he was going to be a military conquering king. They were ready to throw off uh, the Roman oppression and Roman rule, and the Messianic king had come. Um, they were excited about that. Um, it didn't quite turn out the way they thought it would. And so five days later, those same people were shaking their fists in the air, not palm fronds, and saying, crucify him. So there was a little misunderstanding there about what God intended uh, who Jesus uh, was in terms of what God's purposes were and who Jesus was in terms of what they hoped would happen. The, the church struggled for the first five centuries, in fact, wrestling with various views, proposing to define who the real Jesus was. And I need to lay a little groundwork here, so please bear with me. Um, I'm going to talk a little theologically. Um, Good theology, uh, or what the scripture calls sound doctrine, should help us to better understand more fully what it is we believe. And in understanding more fully what we believe, it helps us stay on course. I like the metaphor of theology or sound doctrine kind of being like that weighted keel on a sailboat that keeps it upright, keeps it from capsizing as, as it goes forward. Um, so if you have... Uh, uh, good theology, sound doctrine in your life as a Christian, it will help you stay upright and keep going forward. Specifically, the area of theology I want to talk about is called Christology, which literally means words about Christ. Uh, it's the part of theological thinking and expression which seeks to describe the person and the nature of Christ. And they teach whole seminars on this, uh, in, or whole semesters on this in seminary, and I'm not going to do that this morning because... We've got food waiting. Um, but our understanding about the person and nature of Christ is the foundation, the bedrock of our faith and our eternal hope. So Jesus was the son of man. He was born of a woman. He was a man. And yet at the same time, Jesus was the son of God. His mother was a virgin. He had no earthly father. He was God incarnate. Or sometimes you hear this expression, God in the flesh. And really you encounter this, this uh, Latin root word, um, 
Anytime you go to a Mexican restaurant, you know, you say, I want some chili con carne. And that just means with meat. So that's the, that's the root word. Jesus decided in Christ the Son to come and put on the same meat suit that you and I wear and live the life of a human being. So from the first gospel of John, we read, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this duality that Jesus Jesus as God, Jesus as man, caused no end of controversy and problems in the early church. And like I say, they wrestled with it for five centuries. What they worked out is what today is held as true by all Orthodox Christians. It's really something that we all come together around. And these workings out um, took the form of these great gatherings of the early church um, and resulted in the creeds. And the reason and the importance of these creeds is the church was always wrestling with heresies, uh, which creep in, it says, like wolves among the sheep. Paul dealt with them in the first century churches and referred to some of them in his letters. 1 John 4, 2, he says, By this by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And why was he saying that? He was saying that because there were some people who said that Jesus had not actually been a man. He just kind of looked like one. Um, so Paul is countering that. And I won't go into all the various heresies because I don't have time. But it's, a, it's an interesting subject if you want to investigate it further. I'd rather I'll sum them all up in this way. They err in the fact that they either deny that Jesus was God or they deny that Jesus was man. They separate those two things. And they are inseparable. So in those heresies, you either end up with a deified man, this man who was promoted to godship, or you end up with a humanized God where God left everything in heaven and came down and all he was here was a man. That's it. Both of those are heresies. It took a while for the church to work that out. The truth is, Jesus was in one person the perfect union of a divine and a human nature. Let me read a couple excerpts from the creeds that I referred to. Um, This first one is concerning the divinity of Christ. Christ, the one that Hebrews 1.3 refers to, as the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, the Son of God. This is from the Nicene Creed. It says, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, the Son of God. And in Hebrews 1.8, God is speaking, God the Father is speaking about the Son, and he says, 
of the Son. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Gospel of John speaks this way. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So it's critical we understand the divinity of Christ. But it's also critical we understand the humanity of Christ, the Son of Man. And why, it's kind of what I want to focus on today, why that humanity and understanding that humanity is at the very heart of the good news for us and should produce in us, as it says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. So the second excerpt I want to read is from the first council of Constantinople. This happened a half a century after the council in Nicaea in uh, 1381 A.D. And it uses this language to describe Christ's humanity. It says, Who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Jesus came down from heaven. Or to use Jesus' own words in John 3.13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. I always forget that it's up there too. So the ark of Jesus, and this is really important to understand, is Jesus was always exalted. He is the eternal Son of God. There never was a time when he was not. He was exalted in heaven with the Father. Then he came to us. He was born to parents of no reputation as a man, Mitsu, in a barn, in a feeding trough. And the downward spiral of Jesus' life just continued. Humiliation after humiliation after humiliation. Rejected by his people, Israel. Arrested, abused, tortured, spit on. Enduring the final indignity of a brutal end to his life on a cross. And continuing even further down into the abode of the dead. And then we change directions. Because from then... It is back to exaltation. And I love this verse in Hebrews 13.20. So beautiful. The God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, he ascended back to glory. And that's what we celebrate next Sunday. And there it says in Hebrews 1.3, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we're told further on, he will remain seated until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. So the incarnation was, in a sense, a divine condescension. Now, this last bit I want to read is from the Council of Chalcedon. In 451 A.D. And this is pretty much the last word of the church on who Jesus was. Really nothing has changed since then in terms of 
our understanding as Orthodox Christians about Jesus. Now, I'm going to read this, and the language is a little dense, so gird up. Following then the Holy Fathers, we unite in teaching all men to confess the one and only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. This self-same one is perfect both in deity and in humanness. This self-same one is also actually God and actually man. The rational soul, meaning a human soul, and a body. He is the same reality as God as far as his deity is concerned. And of the same reality as we ourselves as far as his humanness is concerned. Thus, like us in all respects, sin only accepted. Remember those words. Like us in all respects, sin only accepted. Before time began, he was begotten of the Father in respect to his deity. And now in these last days for us, in behalf of our salvation, this selfsame one was born of Mary the Virgin, who is the God-bearer in respect of his humanness. Almost done. We also teach that we apprehend this one and only Christ, Son, Lord only begotten, in two natures. And we do this without confusing the two natures, without transmuting one nature into the other, without dividing them into two separate categories, without contrasting them according to area or function. The distinctiveness of each nature is not nullified by the union. Instead, the properties of each nation, nature are conserved and both natures occur in one person, in one reality. They're not divided or cut into two persons, but are together the one and only begotten word, Lagos of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus have the prophets of old testified, thus the Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us, thus the symbol of the fathers, they're referring to the Nicene Creed, has handed down to us. I'm going to summarize what that means. First of all, Jesus has two natures. He's God and man. Each nature is complete. He's truly God and he's truly man. Each nature remains distinct but not separate. Jesus wasn't schizophrenic. Jesus is only one person. He's the second person of the Trinity. Things that are true of only one nature are nonetheless true of the person of Christ. That's a lot. Having laid that groundwork, I want to go on and say what Jesus' humanity, the fact that he had a truly human nature, means for us. Now, one of the misunderstandings people have about God, and actually to call it what it is, it's a lie, which the father of lies promotes about God. It's a lie that's based, in fact, on truths, and most powerful lies are. Here are the truths which the lie is based on. God is far above you in terms of his attributes, holiness, power, position, glory, majesty. You, in comparison, a mere creature, and a pretty puny one at that, are lower than the angels and spiritual beings God created. You were made from the dust. 
who are frail, dependent, stupid, disobedient, sinful, and utterly weak. True. All true. Pretty much describes us to a T. For as Job said, man who is born of woman is short-lived, full of turmoil, like the flower he comes forth and withers, and he flees like a shadow and does not remain. So those are true things, yes. And here's what the lie adds to them. So if there's a God, if there is a God, don't think you matter too much to him, okay? But you do. Every human being that has ever lived mattered so much to him, he was willing in the person of the Son to traverse the unfathomable distance between his abode in unapproachable light. And this is measured not in miles, but in holiness. To come all the way down to us, to the dirt, to the dust, and clothe himself in our humanness to save us because he loves us. Your life matters to God. It's the first idea that comes out of Jesus' humanity. God, in the person of his Son, came to us. He didn't remain aloof. He's not out there somewhere unconcerned about us. And that leads to the second main idea. And for that, we want to look at Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Like us in all things, accepting only sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why can Jesus sympathize with us? Because in his human nature, his humanity, he struggled with everything that we struggle with. The difference being in every struggle, his love for and his obedience to his heavenly father enabled him to respond to every struggle against temptation with words and actions that were pleasing to the father. He never sinned. And Jesus did this as a man. That's why in Hebrews 5, 8, 9, it can say, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal life. So what kinds of things was Jesus tempted with? Here's what the Bible says. All the very same things you are. This is very good news. It means Jesus knows what we're going through in our journey through this life. The hurts, the fears, the failures, the lusts, the sorrows that we face. He faced them all, but without sin. So here's a fallacy you might be tempted to entertain at some point in your Christian walk. Well, okay, Jesus lived a sinless life, but I mean... He was God. That's kind of cheating, really, isn't it? 
absolutely false. Because every decision Jesus made to obey the Father and not sin, he struggled with as a man, just in the same way you and I do. He had the same spiritual arsenal, the same armor of God spoken of in Ephesians that we're equipped with. Another way to look at this, Jesus did not leave his divine attributes in heaven when he came to earth. He was in his divine nature still omniscient, meaning all-knowing, all-seeing, all-wise. He was still omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, not constrained by time and space. But in order to redeem us, he placed limitations on his divine nature during his time on earth. You might say um, he put his omnicompetencies on hold. I'm not even sure that's a word. Perhaps another kind of crude way to look at this is during Jesus' whole existence, he always had at his disposal what I'm going to call the God button because he was truly God, truly man. He didn't leave any of his competencies in heaven. He didn't leave his divinity in heaven. He was fully God. So when we read about Jesus being tempted by Satan in the desert... The nature of two of the temptations particularly have to do with this God button. Because Jesus was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. He was a man. He was hungry. He really was hungry. And the enemy came to him and said, there's some rocks. You're hungry. Push the God button. Jesus didn't. He responded with the word of God. In another case, he took him to the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, jump on the way down. Push the God button. There won't be a scratch on you. Jesus said, no. You're not to tempt God. Jesus never pushed the God button during his whole life. He could have, but he didn't. And it's really important why he didn't. I mean, when, when Satan came to him and started giving hassle on him, you know, Jesus could have taken his little finger and went, pew, Andromeda galaxy, there you go. Pew, off Satan would have went, right? He didn't. He could have pushed it whenever he got in any difficult situation, but he refused to because it would have meant the end of his living a truly human life with all of its inherent limitations. The plan of redemption would have been sidetracked. We would have been lost, and the devil knew that. So what, what should we deduce from this understanding that Jesus lived his life from his truly human nature? One of the most important things to deduce from it is sinning is not necessary part, is not a necessary part of being truly human. Yes, it's the trait of all fallen humans, But no, it's not how God made us in the first place. It's not necessary to sin to be truly human. As we learn to walk in the spirit, in the new nature God's given us, we don't have to sin. That's what the Bible teaches us. We can live like Jesus did, empowered by the Holy Spirit, doing the things that are pleasing to God our Father. Perfectly? Nope. You'll only ever know one person who walked perfectly with the Spirit and did not sin, and that's Jesus.
So to take this even further, Jesus did not even heal people or cast out demons by drawing on his divine nature. Stay with me. How did Jesus heal people? Here's what he said. If I, meaning the Son of Man, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then... He cast out demons by the Spirit of God in obedience to what he saw the Father doing. Jesus didn't walk on water in his divine nature. He did so as a man, perfect in his trust in God, by the power of God's Spirit, who is not constrained by the laws of physics. You don't have to be a divine being to walk on water. You just have to know it's what God wants you to do and trust he's able to empower you to do it. How do I know that? Because Peter walked on water. He wasn't a divine being. He just knew that's what God wanted him to do. Why did he know that? Because Jesus said, come. Where he fell short was in the trust department wasn't perfect, perfect in his trust, and neither are we. So he began to sink. We know that story. The son of man's knowledge of God's will and trust in God's power was perfect and unwavering. Here's what Jesus says in John 5, 19. Very truly, I tell you, the son of man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Peter was trying to do what he saw Jesus doing. Jesus walking on the water. I want to do that too. He did it imperfectly. And so will we. That's okay. When Peter struck off the ear of the high priest's servant in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's important to note how Jesus responded. He didn't say, hey, whoa, whoa, easy, Peter. Trust me, if I wanted to, I could command a thousand angels to come here. Come right here. Take these guys out. Which is absolutely true. He's the Son of God. But that's not what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew 26, 52. Or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 20, 12 legions of angels. So one of the big ideas I'm trying to get across is that Jesus purposefully limited his divine nature and lived as we do. Learning obedience to God the same way we learn it, through suffering. And because he did that, he's able to sympathize with us in everything that we go through as we want to please God and follow him. Jesus never gave up his divine attributes, but for our sakes, he never employed them. The third main idea I have is, you can see the humanity of Christ, down is up. And we find that in Philippians 2, 
verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's the message here for us? In our relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Jesus was willing to humble himself, become like us, embrace us, and serve us. We need to get down with each other. Get down off our high horse. Set aside our pride. Humble ourselves. If Jesus could do it, empowered by the Holy Spirit in obedience to his Father, we can too. Down is a good direction. In the kingdom of God, it always leads to up. So I want to finish by saying that the union of Christ's deity and humanity in one person makes it such that we have all we need in the same Savior. Because Jesus is God, he is all-powerful, and he cannot be defeated. Because he is God, he is the only adequate Savior. Because he is God, we as believers are safe and can never perish. We have security. Because he is God, we can have confidence that he will empower us for the tasks he commands us to do. Because he is God, all people will be accountable to him when he returns to judge the world. Because Jesus is man, he has experienced the same things that we do. Because he is man, he can identify with us more intimately. Because he is man, he can come to our aid as our sympathetic high priest when we, re- when we reach the limits of our human weaknesses. Because he is man, we can relate to him. He's not far off and uninvolved. Because he is man, we cannot complain that God does not know what we're going through. He experienced it firsthand. Let's pray.